Like if you were hungry or starving all the time, how much of your brain would have to go into dealing with the side effects of malnutrition, like whether you're cognitive or not about it, all that's happening and, and you're managing that situation. And I think that we are like that quite a bit with being under moved. Our brains are sort of managing movement starvation quite a bit. And then situations that arise externally are all through the lens of you're not moving enough, but we don't, we don't recognize hunger signals when it comes to movement. I don't, I, I don't think that we recognize or name them movement starvation. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast. Welcome to the Happy Pair Show. Are you going to call it a show? Yeah, great. It's okay. Um, I wonder when most people listen to this. Do you listen to it walking? Do you listen to it before bed? I hope Do they listen, listen to it when they're moving for moving. this one. I really mm. hope you're, you're moving, listening to it working your hips. But yeah. any kind of movement is fine. Or if yeah. you're listening to it at a desk, maybe you could squat or maybe you could like stretch out. Yeah, there's a yeah. challenge. Or do break yeah. out and look ridiculous and do 10 jumping jacks. There's a and challenge. That's ridiculous. Or just there. sit on the floor. Just sit on the floor. Yeah. yeah. There we go. We're standing right now anyway. Yeah. yeah. And we we're are. Sweating. We are in sweat. Anyway, welcome to this week's podcast. We really thank you for clicking on that little icon. Or that and it's going to be class. It really is. It's yeah, amazing. Our guest is amazing. I yeah. love her. Kathy is wonderful. Um, yeah, I was just thinking there because... We're slowly, sorry to bring bring the tone down a bit, but um, looks like we're looming into a lovely recession again. And it made me wonder, because you guys started in like 2004 um, and recession was in 2008. How did that, do you remember like it as a lead up to impacting your business or what did you guys no, feel happened? No, I think at that stage, kind of like things, health and wellness was becoming more, slightly more popular. And we were like a very community-based business we were really about support and community. So it kind of, we actually grew through it, which was quite really? so be interesting to see if this, you know, if this recession actually comes true and see how our business does. Because certainly COVID we contracted because we had four cafes and we made it back down to kind of one and now we're kind of one and yeah, a half. Yeah, but then your two, online kind of, Online stuff got kind better, of better, but we yeah. ended up going from like 200 on our team to kind of down to about 100. Yeah. So we contracted over COVID. But then I guess the last recession, we managed to grow through it. So it'd be interesting to see because like even during a recession, food is like food is core, food is central. And maybe it'll, who, know, who knows what will happen if it does. A friend Kevin Cowell always said that he was saying friendship makes, makes you kind of more recession proof. It was Kev came back. I remember it was around 2008, Kev was like abroad and he came back and Kev has one of the biggest networks of people and friends you'll ever meet. And Kev within a week had suddenly found he was painting fences, he was painting walls, he was chopping down this, he was cutting grass, he was doing anything. He just said... I think friendship makes you more recession-proof. The more proof. friends you have, the more recession-proof you are. And I think maybe that's a case of like, I don't know. We well, guess we'll see. You never, yeah. never know. But I yeah. remember because I was in, um, I like left school and we went into a recession. So I never knew what the world, you know what I mean? In school, you're cushioned. You don't really know what's going yeah. on anyway. So I only knew the world in a recession. So for me, it was like, oh yeah, it's just harder to get jobs. You just have to think outside the box. Whereas I think like my sister's generation, maybe yours, Got or the jobs they wanted. I'd go even more, I, like, because on our board is our dad, who's yeah. he's turning seventy this year, and Aiden is younger, but he's kind of like sixty, you know, he's sixty or whatever. And they were saying in terms of the eighties, there was such massive interest rates, and it was like a proper recession. Like our parents, inflation when they came, inflation was just inflation yeah. was rampant, and it just like you know, mom and dad as soon as after college they went to Canada because there was no jobs in Ireland, and it was a very different time. And as they were saying, like, you know, that was it. That was. Who, who knows if we'll get back to that level yeah. of, of economic lack of prosperity. 
But um, it was just interesting as a business to have that kind of perspective on our board and kind of going, well, I don't think it'll go to those high interest rates or those no. that levels of inflation. But it was it was certainly interesting. But who knows? That's kind of the importance of being resilient and having a diversity of of kind of practices and and modalities of living on this planet and exactly. finding a means of living. But we've so many things. It's like who knows what's happening with the climate? Who knows what's happening yeah. with COVID? Yeah, who knows what's happening with the economy? It was a, a nice fella, a nice wonderful Aussie mate that we made. Uh, recently he kind of he spoke about a book he read where it was like he said i think it was like soft people make hard times hard times make hard people hard people make soft times and it kind of showed about this cycle i just thought it was fascinating i don't know I, I how, how i tie that. that to tie that back to what we're saying but i, I thought it was really resilience cool. yeah there you are okay there are. resilience and stoicism brilliant okay great which leads us into Kathy. katie bowman Katie. okay okay so like We've been doing this podcast for a year and a half and we have loads and loads of wonderful guests. And then there's certain ones that pop out and they really kind of string a chord with you or hit a chord with you. And Katie Bauman is one of them. She's incredible. She's so inspiring. And my brother, our brother Dara and his wife Yashima have been into Katie for years and they've read lots of her books. And they've recently chopped the legs off their table. Have they? Yeah. Oh, they, they have? They, they, yeah, they now use, because Dara, Dara's married to Yashima. I don't think that's from Istanbul. Table. Yeah, yeah, they did. Okay, well, maybe they bought a small little low <laughs> table because Dara said that Yashima's granny is in her nine and she still squats down at a low table to eat her meals and still squats perfectly in her But 90s. your wife, Justina, oh, yeah, is an unbelievable yeah. squatter and she was saying that's because growing up on the farm, you know, you squatted and you did stuff. Like. Well, and even Tony Riddle, uh, who's the natural lifestylist who we had as a guest before, he's, he's the same. He lives in a furniture-free house and they've no tables and they live on, they sleep on a, you know, a low bed and whatnot. And Tony was saying that when his wife was going to have his, I don't know, it was the fourth child and they'd been living furniture free for a while. So a lot of squatting, a lot of sitting on the ground, a lot of natural hip opening exercise that wasn't yoga. It wasn't stretching. It was just day to day living. And her hips just popped open you know, when she was delivering the baby and the the nurses couldn't believe how supple and open she was compared to, you know, dilating and all these various things. So, um, so I think, uh, yeah, maybe I hear, I hear you could tear less someone who's pregnant and thinking of tearing. Sarah who's 32 weeks pregnant. No, no, but it's interesting. Apparently, um, women in like Western world, because we sit so much are, uh, what is it called? Prineum or yeah, perennium, uh, the, yeah. Bars, yeah. as you call it, Bo- balls in your arse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> balls in your arse. Exactly. Like, perennium is probably the more technical <laughs> or, term. Or the gooch, <laughs> whatever you you're wrong. So, yeah. But um, apparently that's much more malleable and like flexible for women in like Asian countries that do actually squat, squat a, lot a lot. Whereas ours is much more rigid because we're sitting 90 degree angle all the time. Makes a lot of sense. But, but now to bring it back to Katie, because sorry, we went way off course there. Katie is amazing. She's like a movement specialist and like an exercise scientist. mechanist. And, which, and which a, those are, those all sound very technical whatever but she is such a practitioner of movement she talks about the difference between exercise versus movement we live in a society that's completely starved by movement we evolved over millions of millions of years where movement was part of our dna and she's such a practitioner of it she lives in a house where they've no furniture they spend a lot of time sitting on the floor she she'll tell she'll talk about her own bedroom where they don't actually have or how to have dynamic dynamic workstations how how they raise their kids and so many different practical things but for most people listening the distinction between movement and exercise is something that it's like a paradigm shift it's like no no I just exercise to get my movement but actually but actually 
exercise is a tiny subset of the broader category of movement. And the, the whole, this whole podcast, like for anyone who's been listeners to us for a period of time, one of the keys in terms of diet is diversity. The diversity of plant-based foods massively impacts our microbiome, the diversity of bacteria in our microbiome, and the more resilient we are as humans. And similarly with our movement patterns, the more we can focus on diversity of movement throughout our day, that it's not, I'm going to the gym for 30 minutes and then I'm sedentary after that. The more we can do that, the more beneficial it is for our health. She talks about incredible things such as stacking movement. And it's really about kind of going that we've all these various needs. Like, and you might be able to write this yourself where you, you've got to get up and you have to do your meditation, you have to do your yoga, and you have to do your bread work, and you have to do your, and there's all these various things that you can almost get stressed out about all these wellness things you need to do. Where she talks about stacking habits where you're, you're literally walking, you know, she'll get into it herself, but it's really practical. But anyway, you can see where we're very passionate. About it. We love Katie Bauman and we hope you do. She's written a number of books. She's got a great blog. She's just deadly. So many years ago, we used to do competitive yoga. And I know that's quite strange, the idea of, of competitive yoga. But coming from competitive rugby, yoga, it was hard to lose that competitive edge. So Dave one time was able to do Marie Chiasna C. Then I was able to do it. Then we were able to do Marie Chiasna D. And then we managed to sit in full lotus. And anyone who kind of forces it or rushes it can often develop knee problems. And particularly as a rugby player, we never had flexible hips. So we used to sit in full lotus till our knees literally I don't think they quite popped, but we definitely had bad knees for a good number of years to the case where Stephen at one stage nearly, he, he had booked an operation, but actually canceled it. And back about five years ago, a friend, Tony Riddle, he said, lads, what are you doing wearing those cushioned big shoes? What are you doing? They've a narrow toe box. Your, your actual posture starts with your feet. And he gave us pairs of Vivo barefoot shoes. We didn't know anything about them. Didn't and know what the hell a toe box didn't, was. Didn't know where we were. But anyway, we've worn them for five years. We've had no knee problems since it. Like really, I can't believe how incredible it's been for improving our own postures and our own movement. Uh, and and that, again, that, this is an anecdotal story. This isn't to say by wearing these shoes, you're going to fix your knees. But in our experience, it really helped our overall relationship with our body and how it connects to the earth. And really, Tony explained to us back when he first gave it to us that like when you do wear a cushion cell, you are actually... Actually, you're, you're taking away a lot of the information. We've got the same amount of nerve endings in our feet as we do in our hands. And there's a huge amount of information and muscle building that happens when our feet. And obviously, like if you think about it, our knees and our hips and our spine are stacked on top of our feet. So if we get our foundation right, a bit like a house, if you've got a good solid foundation, it's a lot easier to get the walls straight and get the roof upright. Whereas if your foundation is odd, and Stephen can explain to attest to this with his treehouse building, when he gets his base wrong, it was a lot harder to build the walls because nothing was level. And then your roof certainly wasn't level. So no, it's the tree, you know, your tree is good. So it's charming, it's charming and wonky. But it, but even I always like this idea. So so if say you're jumping on a trampoline, the trampoline itself kind of gives it it bounces in relationship to you. Versus if you're jumping on a wooden floor, you have to be soft and flexible because the floor is really hard. And similarly, if you wear a cushion shoe, when you jump in, up and down or run in a cushion shoe, it's the cushion that absorbs the impact. Versus if you're wearing a, a minimal or barefoot shoe, when you run it, it's actually your body has to be more softer so we found in in the case of using barefoot shoes that our bodies are typically softer so anyway we've been wearing vivo barefoots for five years fantastic shoes they're a regenerative shoe company they use all sustainable ingredients they're a b corp company so ingredients in their shoes oh uh, materials sorry Stephen. uh they're really class our kids wear them our wives wear them they're really really i i couldn't say enough good about them they very generously offered a 20 percent discount for anyone that wants to try them they're given a hundred day free trial so you can get send them back after 100 days all you got to do is use the code HAPPYPAIR20 at the wherever you put the code in. Just go to VivaBarefoot.com. They've got a range of casual shoes, men's shoes, women's shoes, it's kids' really cool. shoes. I love my hiking ones. I wear them down the farm. 
Yeah. So anyway, if you're interested, fantastic shoes. Couldn't recommend them more. Go to vivobarefoot.com and the code is HAPPYPAIR20 for 20% off. We're going to shut up now. So we'll give you Katie Bellman. Enjoy. Okay. First place I want to start is, okay, so... Like we have these watches, they count things, but like, I really think like certainly from listening to you, they, they're probably not counting the most important things that, you know, like I, I heard you talk, we were listening listen to yesterday and we were having such good chats about it. Like, you know, most of us, we, we count 10,000 steps. Did we get our 10,000 steps a day? You know, people on average, I think the average person spends nine hours sitting a day. They spend about eight, less than eight hours sitting. And what you're talking about, the difference between exercise and movement, like yesterday, I finally got it. I got it. I got it. What you were talking about that like you know movement is we've evolved over millions of years that movement was just a part of life we moved as mm-hmm. part of life it was baked into our dna whereas now you know most of us sit most of the day and then we exercise for an hour a day and we think it's the same thing and yeah could you talk about that like the, like particularly around that idea of the measuring how little we move in our in our daily activity i think like yeah that, that wasn't a question that was more just like a dump of it's a jumping off point it's a jumping off point. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that you're saying there that I think if people could break it down, it would be in the end easier to move more. So, I mean, just the difference between exercises and movement. So we're all on the same page, you know, like movement is just like the biggest giant circle of a diagram. You can label it movement and it's just any time you change the shape of your body or even the tissues within your body. Right. Because we're, we even just tend to think of, of my whole person having to move from point A to point B, but there's lots of more subtle movements that can happen of just, you know, you, you, um, sitting on the ground and having, you know, rocks push up into your body. That's a movement. Like your skin and tissue has to accommodate something bumpy. Right. And so for most of us who sit all the time on something cushioned, that would be a movement we're not used to. We're not used to texture. We're not used to texture underneath our feet. We're not used to texture on any parts of our body, because everything that we put our body on is covered in something soft and cushiony. We've made everything cushioned. So movement can be any, any, any time your cells have to change shape in your body, but exercise is this really specific type of movement. Exercise is a type of movement. So it's not either, or it's a subcategory. So subcategory is just, if you have this big circle diagram movement, there's a smaller circle inside of that labeled exercise and exercise is by clinical definition. It's any, any, any sort of movement that you do. First off, you have to do it just for the purpose of in, improving your well-being. There's an intention there. Like I'm, I'm trying to make myself healthier or to test better on health or fitness um, measures. You've decided usually for the period of time you're going to do it or the distance you're going to do it. So it's, it's got some structure to it. I'm, I'm going to do it for 30 minutes. I'm going to do it for five miles. Like you've got a mode, what you're going to do. You're picking, I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to walk. I'm going to take a yoga class. And it's usually sort of rhythmic in nature. These are the things that make uh, a certain type of movement fit into this category exercise. And then there's a broader, there's a broader category still that still sits within movement. So you've got movement as a bigger circle. Physical activity is actually less specific than exercise. That's just you doing types of movement that usually use your musculoskeletal system and, and burn some sort of calories while you're doing it. Like they have to be some sort of KCAL expenditure. 
but it does not have to be done specifically to improve your physical fitness. So for people who are active commuters, you know, you ride your bike to work, that's not necessarily exercise. You're using it as transportation, but it's still, it still uses your musculoskeletal system, burns calories, build muscle, et cetera. So, so I'm just trying to get people to think a little bit broader than exercise because we are so sedentary um, culturally that ex to exercise every day seems like a ton of movement, but relatively speaking to the human timeline and and the physical, the mechanical environment our bodies evolved in, we, we are capable and really require a tremendous amount more movement than an hour a day. And it really needs to be distributed better throughout the day. There's a benefit to that distribution. And so that's all I'm trying to do is clarify so people can choose to see more than just exercise. They might be able to improve or increase their physical activity without needing the time, the class, you know, the the um, to pick something ahead of time, because I think these are the things that end up limiting us for getting more movement overall is when we're trying to keep getting more exercise when exercise when you're doing exercise, you're only doing exercise. So we have a lot of things to do, right? We've got families, friendships, jobs, uh, chores. And so you can't really increase your exercise by hours a day because that means you've left all the other things. But taking a walk with your kids uh, twice a day or taking a family walk or just, you know, uh, do it. My, my husband and I all often do date hikes. So instead of going to the movies or going out to dinner, we'll just use the time that we want to, you know, have some together time, but we'll do something physical. That's not exercise per se. It's just a more active way of meeting our other needs. So that's really what my whole platform is about. I think that's beautiful because I've heard you refer to it almost like we're like we're like animals in a zoo and we tend to forget that humans we are also animals and that we grew up in the wild and we used to yeah. have to forage for our food and we used to as you described we used to like traverse different terrains that were rockies and that were on edges and we had to hold on to branches whereas modern day society it's these lovely smooth surfaces cushion surfaces everywhere mm -hmm. life has become so comfort and so sedentary in so many different ways but yet our biological hardwiring requires us to move to feel to feel well i wonder if you could talk about you know so, so many people like focus on fitness and i'm physically fit as opposed to yeah. biological well-being and that these are very separate things and that most people it's only yesterday that hearing you talk about it, i was like wow that is profound well and i think it's it, it comes down to the nuance of understanding um movement science or exercise science like we're so used to thinking about um movement as a whole person state like i'm either moving or i'm not i'm exercising or i'm not but <clears throat> but i like to also bring in like there's this idea of like your parts all need individual movement as well so so you have the need to move your whole person but you also have the need to move all of your individual parts and so for many people who can get physically fit like there are many people who can be physically fit but they will still not necessarily be fully well. Um, so I'll just explain like my experience, like I have really two, two types of people who will come to me. I mean, they're all the same type of person, but they have different habits. There are people who are fairly inactive and they're noticing problems arise in their body. And then I've got the very active who have problems arising in their body, like musculoskeletal problems, you know, problems of the joints. And so, so for a long time, the idea was like, if you just exercised every day, you would be, 
you know, like that would, that would really improve your health beyond not exercising. But what they found was like, wow, people who exercise, but still sit the rest of the time, um, aren't as healthier, as much healthier. Like they don't have like fewer surgeries necessarily or other things as someone who doesn't do any exercises. Why? So like my, my sort of background in biomechanics was bringing up this idea of you, yes, you need to move your whole person to get the protective benefits of exercise or movement, but you also need to make sure all of your parts are being moved well in order to reap the benefits. And so for people who are extremely active through the mode of exercise, I, I liken it sort of to diet. <clears throat> they tend to do the same types of movements again and again and again. So they're eating nutritious food, but, but as you I'm sure know, food, good food, a good food, it can be the best food, <clears throat> but it doesn't meet all of your needs. Like a healthy diet consists of different types of good foods because you need a spectrum of dietary nutrients. And the same goes for movement. So a lot of people have the modes of exercise that they love, but, so, but their movement diet overall is poor because let's say they only eat movement kale, right? It's kale is great, but it cannot make up your entire movement diet. You're going to need some other movement equivalents to good foods so that you're not missing key nutrients in certain body parts. So like I meet a lot of people who are, they're like cellularly sedentary in certain areas, despite being otherwise fit, like their whole bodies are fit. They're meeting their fitness tests, but they're having these spots in their body that aren't getting a broad amount of movement. And it shows up as pain or it shows up as an injury to one spot. And so I just like, we can think of our bodies as a garden or as a, as a diet, something broader than, than a single plant or a single food movement works in the same way. And you want to make sure your movement habits are watering your whole bodies for the health benefits, not only for the fitness benefits, because they're different, they're different measures. You know, people can be very fit, but still, but still have physical issues that limit the quality of their life for the things that they're able to do. Yeah, that's so, amazing. So, so I'm understanding it is that so, okay, like our current culture is not set up for movement generally per se, because most of us have gone to school. We've had, we've been trained for decades how to sit. And then we get jobs where we're sitting in front of a laptop. We sit in cars, we sit at work, modern life. Movement is not part of modern life. And what yeah. you're saying that that's, that's a key component to cellular health that we're not necessarily, you know, it's kind of manifesting in terms of pains or joint issues or back issues or all these type of things. And there's a lot of people out there, like a lot of people we know and where, where we suffer with this too, where, where we're sitting lots of time and you'll do an hour's exercise, but over the course of the day, like maybe you get 15 or 20,000 steps. So you've moved plenty, but over, over compared to what we've evolved over, it's still not consistent movement differently throughout the course of the day. Yeah. And it's hard. Like what's plenty, relatively speaking, the active people in our society move a tremendous amount, tremendous amount more than the not like the inactive, but you could find cultures of people who really move all day long for the things that they need. And it would make our 10,000 or plenty number of steps seem much less. So like, it's just relative. So like if you grow up in a sedentary culture and you exercise regularly, like you're the mover, like you are the mover of the culture, but but compared to what the human body sort of needs to water all of its parts, it can be quite low. And an activity tracker is just measuring steps. 
It doesn't measure how many bends you do to your spine or twists or things that you might need to keep your spine flexible, which goes along and creates other issues later on. It doesn't, doesn't show if your arms are swinging at all during that movement. It doesn't show if you picked anything up or carried that weight. So it's just in, in our recognition that <clears throat> our movement diets are so poor, it's very similar to um, just getting enough calories. At this point, we're struggling to get movement calories. The quality of movement of the, those calories is not even really being discussed, right? It's just like, just get 10,000 of any type of movement and that's a good start. And it is, and I don't mean to diminish that. It's just that we know enough about movement and other nutrients like diet to recognize that there's a broader picture and I think for a while, the idea was like, if we just keep it simple for people, 10,000 steps, they'll do it. But I haven't seen that messaging, that simple messaging catch on. I've seen the opposite. I've seen the simple messaging of like, just exercise for 15 minutes a day or 20 minutes, you know, just 10,000 steps, just, just, just not catching on. So my, my approach is, let, if, you, <clears throat> if you learn how movement works and how it can be more complex, chances are you might find the movements that will fit well in your life <clears throat> with greater ease. So yeah, you need to be moving all of your parts more. You need to be moving all of your parts more often. You need to be moving your whole person more often, excuse me, <clears throat> but it doesn't have to only fit into this container of exercise. It can fit in how you're watching your entertainment at the end of the evening. You can be choosing a more active way to move your body when you're watching a movie at nighttime, you know, like you could get on the floor and just position your body in a different way. Sort of like how, if we're going to talk about how our ancestors were handling the evening time or their, their version of entertainment time, like be sitting on the ground, right. In a cross-legged position, getting up and down from the ground. Like you don't have to go back in time to do that. You just have to not sit on your couch. You know, you can sit on your floor during your movement time and get more of this type of movement that we're talking about. So, so yeah, like we, we need, we need better movement diets overall. And we need to recognize where in our culture, we need to make environmental changes to help promote it with greater ease. I love the distinction of that, like where it's like at the moment, we're just barely getting enough calories as opposed to actually yeah. looking at macronutrients. Because for anyone who listener doesn't know what macro macronutrients is, fat, protein and carbs are the three basic macronutrients. And in terms of micronutrients, obviously, there's a huge amount of vitamins and minerals, and that's getting even more into the detail. But in terms of taking that lens and applying it to movement, like what are the, the, the kind of main macronutrients that we should be focusing on? Because at the moment, as you said, we're just focusing on calories, which is steps, or in yeah. some cases, any type of movement will do. We'll take anything. Minutes. It can but, be but, minutes, right? It can be yeah. minutes of movement or steps. They're like gross or big, big ways of looking at movement. So yeah, the, well, the, the macronutrient, movement macronutrients that we're most used to would be like cardio strength and flexibility, right? Making sure that you get some of each of these categories for a balanced movement diet. You could, you could look at it this way. I think of micronutrients, the smaller, more dialed in pieces is that each of your parts, each of your hinges is being moved. So your micronutrients would be all, you know, like, can you lift up just your big toes? Like, right. That's a micronutrient vitamin, like lift your big toe. And can you lift your, everyone listening now is lifting their big toe or at least exactly, trying to exactly, yeah, right? of course. Can you spread your toes away from each other. You know, if you put your hands up, you can spread your fingers away yes, from each other. Yes, I can. Other. Your feet can do that as well. But, and like, that would be your feet getting the, 
getting the movement nutrition that they need. That would be one example. So you could think of that as micronutrients. I tend to think of macronutrients um, a little bit differently than those broad categories of cardio strength and flexibility. Um, I think of them more as like walking as a category, a macro macronutrient category. Like, can you walk? Can you um, get up and down off the floor? Use the floor as a place of taking rest or sitting. And if you can't do it right now, could you do something at least lower than your chair, right? Could you put a couple of cushions on the ground and get up and down from that slightly elevated ground? But it would be like your body's ability to negotiate really the terrain underfoot, which we used to, which, and like, we're, I'm not even talking about hundreds of thousands of years ago or tens of thousands of years ago. I'm talking about like our grandparents and our great grandparents. They moved a, a tremendous amount more than we move now, right? Just like everything is so convenient. We don't have to really build our own shelters anymore. The water shows up right in your house, your food's at the store. Like, you, like it's, just in the last couple of generations, we've lost a tremendous amount of movement and we had already lost many before, but we've just really, it's exponential at this point, the movement that we're losing. Um, and yeah, and this, so, um, this, this, this might sound stupid, but I'm just wondering for anyone listening, who's gone like, why do I need to do this? What are the benefits? Like I get my 10,000 steps. Like, you know, I go to the gym, I do my Pilates once a week. Like I'm, I'm already overwhelmed. Well. Like, and I do my meditations. Like now I've got to do movement. Like, oh my God, this is so yeah. stressful. Like, because that's what I can imagine. Like, you know, that being a, a very valid reaction to, to people right. right now. So, yeah, so well, well, go ahead. Well, I mean, like the question is just, my approach has been more in terms of stacking. So yes, you need to move all of your parts. Luckily, the act, many activities of daily living move all of our parts. So my approach is actually to do less to move you than to do more than move you. So like we are used to thinking about today is a day I'm exercising my legs. Today is a day I'm exercising my arms. Today is the day I'm exercising my core, right? We're approaching it all because we're going through the exercise lens, like one part, what I'm doing balance today. Okay. Tomorrow I'm going to do cardio for, but I think of it more as, you know, if you walk home from the grocery store and you carry your groceries and you've got your dog with you, you're walking your dog, you've got your family with you, you're chatting with a friend, you're actually just doing one thing. You're just going to the grocery store, but you are carrying the thing that you need. Your arms are working. Your core is working. Your legs are working and you're hanging out with your dog or your friend or your family. So the way to get more movement is by choosing fewer tasks that meet more needs rather than trying to have so many tasks that only need meet one need at a time. Like that's, that's where we're really struggling with time. It, you know, it's like, you cannot work on one body part at a time. You can't even really work on one area at a time, one hour a day or four hours a day. It's just, you, you, there's not, there's never going to be enough time to do it all. So we just have to think less of the parsing, pulling out just the steps, pulling out just the reps and thinking more about like, how can I use my body for daily life in a way that what's the reason? to be able to use my body well in the future. I mean, really, that's what we're talking about for physical fitness anyway, is the idea that you can physically do the tasks that you need to do now and in the future. Like there's an element of sustainability to it. You have to water your garden so it produces 
next time. Yes, in the moment, which is great, but also in the future as well. You have to nourish your tissues this way. So it's really about sustainability. There's, there's, a, there's a wonderful like, an expression which we use in terms of food and helping people change their own behaviors in terms of food. And I'm sure it applies to movement is, is uh, environmental design, which is we are all yeah. the products of our environment. And if you look at the blue zones, the longest living in the people of the planet, yeah. they kind of say that they are not because they're genetically better than anyone. It's because their environment forces them to move yeah. consistently and they grow their own gardens and they don't have dishwashers and they cycle and they walk and whatnot. And I just wondered in terms of the stacking, could you give more examples like because obviously, like, I think that makes so much sense instead of kind of going exercising one body part at a time or doing reps or doing steps or whatever, to actually focus on stacking. And even when I was talking to our brother, Dara has been reading all your books and he's a super fan, him and his wife, Yeshim. And he was, say, he was saying, like, talk to, Ka- to Katie about stacking. Like, stacking is where it's at. That's about, like, how we can make this practical about, like, you know, in terms of commuting, trying to make your commute if you commute to work, like walk it or cycle it, or could, could you give other examples of how you stack your movement throughout your day? Because everyone listening is probably going, this makes loads of sense. Right, great. How do I actually do this? Like, what is the practical things that I can do? Well, so like the way there's a, there's a economic and movement model that goes hand in hand, that's called the sloth model, S-L-O-T-H. It says that we all spend our time in five domains, either sleeping, leisure, occupation, transportation, or home. So those are going to be the places that you spend your time. So we're going to look for ways to make those environments a little bit more dynamic. So transportation would be, okay, I usually drive my car or I take the bus. Um, Okay, so you can walk or bike, but but to even be more creative, because people are like, well, I have to go for an hour. Like I'm too far. I don't have that time. If you take um, like the bus, get off three stops or two stops ahead and just walk the rest of the way. And the same thing, like you can parse that, or if you're commuting to school, if you take kids to school, you can walk them to school or drive part way in Canada here. There's these just to deal with traffic sort of congesting around schools. They've created these safe zones where you're allowed to drop off your kids that it's only, it's like, it's only a six minute walk from this point or eight minute walk. So you're, you're still just shooting for small bits but you're going to replace a previously less active thing you already had to do with a more active version. So active transportation is fairly easy. Um, I love celebrations. Like I'm the celebration queen. So like all of our celebrations or our gatherings with friends, which right doesn't have to be big holidays, but like our once a week soup night or, or, um, or even just meeting with my friends, you know, if I want to hang out with girlfriends, like we'll never meet for coffee inside to go sit down. We'll always meet for a walk and like, Hey, bring your coffee with you, but we're always needing to do something physical together. So take your friendship time and bring it outside on the move. Um, get together for family soccer just for like an hour, you know, like to meet down at a, bring your dinner so that no one has to make dinner. And we just kind of make a potluck and we play for a couple hours outside that would replace, um, throwing a party, you know, where everyone's sort of coming in to, you know, sit down or do that type of thing. And then I'm big on food and big on food moves. So that could be as big as growing food in your own garden, but it could be as small as, um, walking, to and from the grocery store, or it could simply be buying um, wholer foods. We're used to like the idea of a whole food being how much it's been chemically processed, but you could also look at your foods as how mechanically processed they are and how much 
the food nutrients that we're eating, like we used to do the movements from gathering the food to a lot of foods require a lot of mechanical processing to be edible, right? So we used to do all of that by hand. Now we can just like hit a button on a blender and break it down. We're not even really chewing our food any longer. We're not using the mechanical hinges of the jaw because it can all get like pureed down. So like we've stripped all of our dietary nutrients of their mechanical nutrients. So if you can put, if you can buy the whole thing and chop it yourself, buy the whole cabbage, cut it, you know, don't, don't buy the pre-shredded one, you know, unless you need to. And because that would be a way of just stretching out your dinner uh, production time, which is why we don't want to do it. Right. It's like, how can I eat healthy? If I got to do all this work of all these dishes and cutting, it's like, think of it as kind of a workout, let your kids get their knife skills, you know, get in there, um, enjoy the process a little bit more knowing that yes, it's taking more time, but in that same mealtime, you also got your movement in at the same time that it's the nutrient density of your meal is a little bit bigger when you do more of the labor yourself. I Brilliant. like that as a concept. And that's beautiful. Really, really lovely. Can I ask something? There? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was going to say, okay, so, so office workers. So a lot of us work, whether we work in an office or we work at home, like, like a lot of us spend a lot of time working on a laptop or a computer or screens and there's a lot of sitting. And I'm just wondering what are practical things? Cause I remember a few years ago, I had the idea we were writing a book on health and I thought it was so ironic that I was writing a book on health and I was spending a lot of time sitting down. So I ended up getting this old treadmill. I got an old treadmill, which someone managed to, I found on some old recycling thing and managed to kind of manufacture some old you know, piece of wood I could put across the with top the of it. With the help of Dennis. With the help of Dennis. And we managed to get this old treadmill desk, homemade treadmill desk going that cost me 30 euro, I think. And so I ended up writing that book, kind of walking and typing on it. And it was great. It was amazing. I couldn't believe like in an hour you were getting kind of like the heat I was generating and my mind was working better, whatever. But then the desk ended up breaking and I never kind of got it going again. And I just wondered what are things that people could do? Because I've heard you talk about dynamic workspaces and mm-hmm. how we can actually like, a lot of people listening do do jobs where you've got to sit in front of a computer and they're kind of going, geez, how do I get movement into that beyond like maybe having a meeting, walking or whatnot? Like, do you have any other kind of suggestions or things which you help people with? Yeah, for sure, because I write books. I write books about movement and I spend a lot of time working on my laptop as well. So it's, this would be like another example of stacking. A dynamic workspace, you could go as much as a treadmill, but you could also go as little as just anything that elevates you. So you're standing or also for me, really, I need more sitting low on the floor. So I have in my workspace, um, a standing desk, which is really an old ironing board that I turned over to a desk, put a piece of wood, same thing, all from the garage sales around. And then I have at the traditional height desk, an exercise ball. So just sitting on a ball where you can use more musculature, you know, and sort of fidget, you know, fidgeting is a really good way of keeping moving while still being in, in place. And then also a low desk, um, a table that I've cut the legs off. So it's quite low and I just sit on the floor and I can go through all the same yoga floor positions that I love that make my hips feel better while I'm actually working on my book at that time. So that's, that's a big one. And then for people who do sit a lot in the office and who can't do much about it is to look at the times when you're sitting a lot in front of the computer that you can do something about. And, and work there. So <clears throat> shifting some of your, like if people are reading to try to do more audio, you know, instead where they can go out and they still have to take in the information, but they can take it out walking or, or gardening, you know, or doing household chores. So I think sometimes we can't think of other ways 
to meet the needs that we're meeting. Like I have to learn this information. I have to listen to, I have to hear this talk or call. It's like, make it more portable so that you can be a little bit more dynamic when you're listening. That's a great one. Yeah. Like certainly I find I listen to podcasts when I'm making the dinner or I'm walking in the road yeah. or doing what I find it so much easier. I don't really read anymore because it just requires sitting and I do enough of that. Right. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good one. Okay. Hey, can, can I go? Yeah, yeah, go for it. it about casts. I've heard you use the expression of casts and like, you know, I, we grew up and when I broke my wrist and I was given a plaster, a Paris cast and my arm, I couldn't bend my wrist for whatever, four, six weeks. And then when it came out, it was all emaciated and it couldn't work. And I had to try to like build back the muscle. And you use the expression that much of modern day life has a natural cast that kind of inhibits movement. And one, I think a starting point was you often talk about modern day shoes that they kind of like, obviously with the cushion, with the ankle with the arch there can often prevent movement kind of the low toe box or the small narrow toe box can inhibit use of foot i I wonder if one if you could talk about shoes and footwear and also if you could talk about just other casts that many of that we don't even see or aren't even aware that are in our modern day society yeah well shoes are the easiest cast to understand because because that is a pretty struck like Casts can be sort of invisible, but they can also have tangible barriers. And, and shoes are one of those things where I just say, imagine if you put your hands into stiff mittens, you know, if you put your children's hands into stiff mittens and then had them go out and explore the world, what their ability to sense things would be through their hands and how they would have to then move their wrists and elbows because they couldn't they, they could still pick things up by bringing their mittens together and using maybe their shoulders, but they wouldn't be able to use all the fine motor of their fingers. Their wrists would not be supple. All these parts of their hands would not be nourished. They would have to go to some of the bigger joints of the shoulder and elbow to still accomplish things. Much in that same way, we've put foot mittens on at the earliest stage of trying to figure out balance and, and what terrain feels like underfoot. And so our hips and knees have all had to do more work that they're not really necessarily um, there to do because the toes and the other muscles of the feet aren't able to participate in walking. Um, and, and so for many of us, and, and I started really, my first books were on feet because, because foot pain is very prevalent. I mean, it's prevalent And you can think of like musculoskeletal, like, okay, foot pain, that's a big deal. You know, people are having more foot fractures and they have plantar fasciitis. But as an exercise scientist, I was more interested in the phenomenon of like, I think once you're over 50, for women at least, it's like one in four women can't walk because of foot pain. And then it goes and it increases with age and comes into men having the similar statistics. Like once you're over 50, is that becomes a metabolic issue. Like now we have the inability to move the whole person and take care of that whole body and heart and lung movement that we need because the one foot, because of one, one inch painful spot in the foot, because the feet haven't been nourished, they haven't been moving as well. So this idea though, that we're going to kick off our shoes and start using them. It's like, well, it's sort of like you take a cast off your arm. You can't go right to cartwheels there needs to be this like restoration period of getting the mobility back and building the muscle because at- everything's atrophied in there. Um, nerves aren't used to doing what nerves do and same goes for the feet. So it's creating this program of how do you deal with the fact that, well, and this is a little tidbit, 25% of the number of muscles and bones in your body are from the ankle down, right? So it's not wow. 25% of your mass 
but it's like 25% of your levers, you know, all this important pieces that have really not been ever addressed. And your feet really work the same way as your hands do mechanically. So the idea of look at all the things that our hands do and know that our feet were pretty much just like jumping up and down. Every, every movement that we do, most movements that we do will pass over the foot, but the foot itself has never been trained to carry the weight of the body. So it just, I started working with much older people when I was in graduate school. Like that was my interest of not so much younger fitness and movement at that stage, but what happens after a lifetime of moving this particular way? How do we end up moving later on? And, and once I started understanding like, oh, our concepts of what aging is and what aging does to the body, has a lot more to do with how a sedentary culture ages than how the human body ages. And feet were such a big player of balance, ability to live on your own as you got older, strength, general mobility, and then being able, and self-efficacy, the idea that you could take care of yourself as you got older. And I was like, this all really flows through the foot. And even the really fit people I know, don't take care of their feet. Hey, everyone across the board, let's learn about feet because whether you're just starting or whether you've been very active for a long time, um, we're sort of all at the same place. And like I teach, I'll teach classes where I live. And I just had this class that was like half people over the age of 65 and then half people under the age of 30. Most of them were college rugby players. And they were all having exactly the same experience and struggling with exactly the same thing. And I was like, when you can take a physical movement and it's equally hard for people who are not super active at this point, but you know, wanting to, to become a little bit stronger and more um, stable in their body. And then like rugby players, and a lot of them came because they're like, our coach can't walk anymore. And we love rugby, but we know that it's not nourishing us fully. What can we do? I'm like, okay, feet. And, and it was amazing to see the spectrum of age and ability. And everyone was on exactly the same page with the difficulty of these foot exercises I was giving them. So it's just that, like that. So foot casts are a big one. And then other casts would be like, oh, here's a cast that we don't think about. Your and even, even 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 before we just go on to the other cast, could you talk oh, yeah. more about feet? Because because I know like okay. you've you've talked about some of the problems with feet, but I know back about it was probably about five years ago. A good friend of ours, like we were just wearing normal shoes, like casts, as you said, like just regular normal shoes with kind of big cushions at the end. And a friend of ours, an amazing character, Tony Riddle, you might know him. Um, and he he gave us a pair of Vivo barefoots. He gave us both a pair of Vivo barefoots and said, "Lads, you have to try these. These are a game changer." And that was five years ago, and we haven't put another shoe on our feet. Like we've literally. We just went cold turkey and that was all we wear was barefoot shoes, Vivo barefoots we wore for five years and we still wear them today. And it's been such a journey to kind of to get our feet to where they're, you know, understanding on this journey of becoming, you know, more comfortable with them or whatever. And that's been a game changer for us and an absolute education for us in terms of re re kind of reinvigorating our feet because like we only learned that there's but, this but even that like the fact that there's this uh, like the same amount of nerve ending is in our feet as our hand and even like I walk down barefoot to the beach we swim every day at sunrise and even walking barefoot to the beach like to walk on the yellow lines feels spongy and soft and then you walk on these little spiky little bits and it feels like reflexology and then you get onto the beach and there's these 
hard stones and like you just sense your world more and it's quite playful it's like oh i like walking in this oh i don't like walking this uh, but i wonder if we could talk about that yeah but like like what people can do in terms of re-educating their feet or re i don't know if educating is if the word is or just re-engaging our feet again and Revolving your thoughts on barefoot feet. shoes and what you do and what you do for your kids or what do you recommend for people that you kind of work with okay all 17 of those questions go <laughs> yeah, just, yes! just, just talk about feet raining. Yeah, so, I mean, what do I do with my kids? We'll start with why I choose to do what I do. So we actually do quite a bit of barefoot. I've, I didn't, my kids didn't have shoes for at least the first year. Um, they had foot coverings, like we would use socks, you know, just, you know, because you want to protect from we have like a human made environment that sits atop a lot of things. Like there's a reason shoes have come to be. We often need foot coverings because of the type of terrain that we're on and the detritus and the general stuff that's around. So protection is fine. Um, but what it, we've gone from like simple foot coverings all the way to giant, you know, two inch cushions underneath your entire foot and like this and everything's very stiff and doesn't work. So protection is fine, but, but we want, um, I wanted my kids to be able to learn how to use their body, including their feet, which, which the, again, the foot, the foot is what everything is passing through. And I wanted them to be able to get that robust development that comes from learning how to use your feet and your knees and your feet and your hips and your feet and your spine all together at the same time, because there's a lot of sensory information. And there's also just a lot of different movement. You know, they, they've done studies where they put these insoles inside people's shoes that have these different, slightly different textures. And the calf muscles are all doing different things depending on the tiny different textures. So every texture you stand on is a different movement, right? So your movement diet right now might be um, all flat and level cement that you walk on or the street path. But when you go to the beach, that's a different food. When you step on cobblestone, those are different foods. So you're getting a more nourishing movement diet all the way up, you know, to your spine, just what, depending on what you're stepping on. Um, so yeah, letting them go barefoot just to develop that foot strength. And then also all of their other parts strength also to believe, I believe really pushes through, passes through the foot. Um, minimal shoes are great. So just for people listening who don't know what that is, like a minimal shoe is not necessarily a shoe that doesn't have a lot of mass, you know, so it wouldn't be like a flip-flop necessarily. What makes a minimal shoe is it minimally alters your gait, minimally alters the way your body moves is what we mean usually by minimal. So if you pick up a shoe and can twist it or bend it in half, it's not very stiff. It's going to allow your foot parts to all move um, well, uh, depending on what's underfoot. Um, also a heel. We spend a lot of time walking downhill. We spend our, almost our whole entire lives, if we're in conventional shoes, walking slightly downhill. Because even if you wear a flat shoe, it usually has a rise in the heel, right? So think of your calf muscles never really getting to get long because the uphill portion is so much less. And we've gotten rid of a lot of uphill, like we've gotten steps. So when we go uphill, we still just take the flat up. We never actually have to dorsiflex and stretch, stretch the backs of our legs. So you want a level shoe and then you want a shoe that attaches well so that's a shoe that your foot doesn't slide out of where you have to grip your toes to hold them on which a lot of summer shoes now when it's hot people will be wearing like flip-flops but if you walk around in flip-flop shoe 
you have to actually contract your toes to keep them on. So that leads to a certain stiffness in the foot. So you want a shoe that attaches fully so you can not have to grip it to keep it on. It could still be light material, but it was usually have a strap around the heel as well to hold it on. So that's just what we mean by minimal shoes. And then what happens if you've been in conventional shoes? Yeah, you gotta do a little foot exercise. You gotta take the casts off. Like when you got your arm cast off and move your wrist around, maybe just you know flip your hand up and down. You start picking light things up and then you pick slightly heavier things up and then you're ready for a cartwheel. So the same goes for taking minimal shoes off. You start by stretching your stiff feet. Um, you start by stretching your calves. You start by then lifting, try to do that toe lift exercise we did. Like, can you lift your toes each individually? Can you lift them one at a time and put them back down? Because then you're stretching and strengthening your foot muscles. Can you go out barefoot just in your house and or on something where it's not as pokey? So beach is good um, if you can avoid, you know, big shells. This idea of like, I'm going to add some sensory input. I used to recommend cobblestone mats because you could get them for your house. And this would be like a mat that had all the textures on it. And you could just walk it, keep it underfoot while you're walking through. And it would get you, get you over that soreness that sometimes when you have been wearing shoes your entire time and you go right out and you're like, oh, ow, everything is very pokey. It's, you're not usually used to it. Those muscles in your feet aren't strong enough to bend. They're not allowing your foot to bend. So it all feels like too much pressure. And then you start walking longer distances, you know, like it's just like a, a training approach, just like you would do to any body part. You just do it with your feet instead. Yeah, that's what happened with us. It took us probably, took us, I'd say a year to get used to them. And then once you just get used to them, it's like, there's no way I'm putting back on those casts, like really, because you feel like your feet have been liberated to a sense and there's a newfound freedom and connection and kind of realization of these body parts and how they connect and whatever. Even so. there's a wonderful lady that uh, comes into the shop called Mary and she wasn't born with arms. So she, her feet, like just to see how she uses her feet, yeah. it's just, it's, it's a great demonstration to me of like. She's a painter. She's, she paints she's a feet. painter and she drives her car with just her feet and just, just to see the dexterity and what feet are capable of. It's like, oh my God, she's incredible and great. You know, it just shows me what's possible with our feet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's where, that's where you just realize like, oh, these body parts, I mean, we're humans are so beautifully adaptable where our parts are capable of so much, but we usually need some sort of environmental situation to get us to move them. Right. Because I always say we're, we're paradoxically both hardwired to need a lot of movement and simultaneously we're hardwired to not move as often as possible. We have to deal with these dual things that are happening all the time. And so modifying our environment is going to be the way where it makes it easier to get more movement for sure. Totally. Hey, can, I, can I talk about there are other things that I know you do personally, such as you have lower tables in your homes. You mm -hmm. try to encourage your children and your family to sit down a lot more. On the you floor, don't, you don't the sleep floor. on a conventional bed because you find it's not good for your movement. I wonder if you could talk about this. And for many people, it can seem a, a, a step too far, but I think it's wonderful to have a goal and like just to get an example of someone who's really trying to maximize their environment. Because it's the to theory, move. like, you know, the theory is all interesting, but it's like, what does it look like? You've been on this journey sure. for a lot longer than nearly all of us. And what does your life look like? And particularly those areas of furniture free and counters and sitting on the floor and bedding. I'd love, love if you could talk about those. Well, and I, and I made a video of it and I, I regularly do like every few years so people could sort of see the progress as we do it. So this is about casting. It's about more cast. Like it's easy 
to switch shoes because like everyone wears shoes. It's a little bit more challenging to go to low tables because people are like, whoa, like that's just that's just too far. It's too far. But what we did was we got we dealt with the casts. Like if you think about the shape that your body spends most of the time in, it's probably going to be in a sitting position, right? 90 degrees at the hips, 90 degrees at the knees, feet on the floor. And and our cars are shaped like that. Our offices are shaped like that. The home is shaped like that. The schools are shaped like that. The movie theater, entertainment, restaurants, they're all shaped like that. That is a cast. We, without it being, it's not wrapped around us, but if we want to go do anything out in the world, that is the shape that ignites the world. We've made the sitting down shape, the conduit to getting really anything done in the world. And so when I, I was actually pregnant with my first son, when, you know, my midwife gave me all these exercises to do. And I was like, these exercises are just like sitting on the floor, putting your legs out in front of you, putting your legs to one side, putting your legs to the other side, stretching them open for a while, squatting down. And I was like, I don't need to do these as exercise. I was very busy. I'm like, I work, I don't have time to do an hour of exercises every day. I'm just going to start sitting on the floor because it's the couch that's keeping me from just doing my work and the exercises that I needed to help with, you know, my delivery. So we had that couch. And then when we moved, I thought, what if we don't bring the couch with us? Like, why would I, why would I want to teach my infant that this is what they do with their body? Because in the end, like, that's what we're teaching. That's how cultures persist. Like that's how cultures are handed down. It's like, you're born into it. You don't really have a choice. So I thought, well, and kids can squat so beautifully, right? They, they are, they're already doing what, you know, humans have done for a long period of time, no education needed. Like that's really, again, hardwired in there, that squat. And so we just got rid of the couch and I had floor cushions and things to be comfortable on. You know, we still sit around and as a family and can watch a movie at night, but we just didn't need a couch to be able to do it. And then- So, and so then what, does really, your, what does your sitting room look like now? Cause like, I know I go into most people's no. houses and there's like a couch and that's like the, that's where we lounge around. Like is yours like more Spartan and kind of like, monastery like in terms of a few cushions or what does it look like no, i'm just trying I think to look it's for still full. yeah and i think that's the thing. you know when we talk about furniture free they're like oh what do you even have in there um so we have a low a low table um and like it'd be like a coffee table height that's that's when i say low table it's like the coffee table height and there's an ottoman in there you know and there's many cushions and around puffs and things of different heights so that you could just sort of build the shape that you want but you have a variety. It's just called flexible seating. Schools are starting to use it now too because they realize that kids going in and sitting down for many kids, many kids are good at not getting their physical needs met, but being able to like focus and do it anyway. But then there are many children that can't. So like, then they are like more labeled hyperactive or having a problem focusing where maybe they just don't suppress the need to move as easily as other other children can. So they started to create flexible seating situations to be like, oh, well, if this kid can sort of be like on a ball or wiggling or on, you know, down on the ground a little bit more and can be shifting their body, it's not disruptive to the class. It's not disruptive to their learning. So let them have these flexible seating. So we just basically created flexible seating as well, um, a low bench 
So there's definitely platforms of various height, but it's just very dynamic. You can choose what works for you. Like my office, I can stand when I want to, I can sit when I want to, I can sit on the floor when I want to. And in that way, I'm better at meeting my needs and like the urges that come up to be doing something different without needing to drop my work and like run screaming out of my office. I can, I can sort of do my, my responsibility, but do my other responsibilities to myself at the same time. Same goes for flexible seating at schools and the same goes into the house. And so my kids, it's very interesting. They're not comfortable sitting on furniture as much. They both at, at 11 and almost 10 have their squats. Their, those squats are still there. Like they'll just, you'll come into a room and they'll just be up on something completely squatting down. Like they just, they didn't have, they weren't, they didn't adapt to the furniture. They can still, they can go to places with furniture and use furniture just fine. I just had a family reunion with 10 people and um, living in our house. And I brought in a couch just to make it comfortable for them, you know, so they would have it. So it's just sort of dynamic in that way. And then, yeah, we sleep on the floor. The floor is the other one where, um, same thing with like my, I, my physical, my one physical ailment that I've really struggled a lot with is headaches and neck tension. And so I get, you know, the physiotherapist would give you like, you know, you gotta do these stretches for your neck. But I was again thinking, now that stretch that you want me to do is exactly the stretch that I would get if I didn't have like a giant pillow under my head. So I actually transitioned off of a pillow while sleeping because it, you know, a pillow, if you imagine, like if you put your back against a wall and a pillow behind your head sort of pushes your head forward, right? Like it, it moves your head out of alignment sort of with your body. It Dep- depends, you- on, depends on which way you sleep. Cause if you sleep well, on your side, a pillow is kind of good. If you sleep on your side, it sort of wedges in there a little bit. It might cock it to one side a bit, but the stretches were the ones, the stretches were the ones of dropping my ear to my shoulder. And I am a side sleeper, partially. And so I found this research paper that someone had written saying, here's how humans sleep really in all these places in the world. And it's much more flexible. They get on the ground and they're like, their spines have to all adapt to the ground. And that's what keeps their spine flexible is they're basically, if you think of those domains in the sleep domain, they were getting more movement than I was getting. My sleep domain was very static, right? The, the cushions that I went into sort of held my body into one particular position, which is, which matched my understanding of ergonomics, right? This idea that there's a best single position to be in to do the thing. But I just don't really subscribe to that understanding anymore. Like I don't, I think of trying to find the best position to do something in without moving for long periods of time is probably not the best approach. The approach would be more, how do I stay dynamic while doing this thing? And then I realized like, oh, it's ground sleeping. Humans have been doing it just like they've been, you know, walking for millennia and carrying things and climbing and using their arms. They've been sleeping in this way that really mobilized their spine very well. And so I just slowly transitioned to it over a couple of years and it's great. And does ground sleep mean like literally, you know, you don't have a bed or you don't have a mattress? Like, does it literally just mean it's just an empty room? It's a bedroom without a bed and you guys just like sleep on the floor? Or do you have some kind of like low bed yeah. like or frame or something? Well, I just, I just did a podcast on this too because I get these questions a lot because it's like, I can't even imagine what you're talking about. So we shifted right from 
from a, like a normal bed's pretty high off the ground. Again, it's, it's at chair height for a reason because our knees and hips don't really go down below chair height very easily. So we put the bed right there where I can use my chair shape to get in and out of bed with ease. So it started with just a slightly lower mattress, right? So I had to use my knees and hips a little bit more, but it was still pretty cushiony. Um, and then we went to something more like a futon and my husband was in, um, uh, lived in Japan for a while. So again, low, low floor futon ground sleeping is much more the norm of the world. It seems sort of outlying behavior to us, but it is a very common practice for many humans and certainly most humans throughout all time. Um, so went to a low futon and then we have a mold problem just because we're in the Pacific Northwest here. So that didn't work because then mold was under the ground because your heat, it just goes right through it and gets on the floor. So then um, my husband mentioned, you know, in Japan, a lot of times they'll pick up the bed every day and it's quite humid there. So we're trying to figure out what we could sleep on. So we got sheepskins. So we now roll out sheepskins and we've been doing this for five years now, sheepskins. And then we just make a bed, put the sheet down in the top bottom sheet, the top sheet and the blanket on top of us and sleep that way. And then in the day, we do all the movement to pick it back up just a few minutes worth. And then we have a whole extra room of all the open floor. And that has been always great for us in smaller houses. Like the kids have an extra playroom. We have an extra room to stretch, an extra work room. So it's, again, it's a stacking thing. Like Jeez, that, one that is, that is so clever. Like I never, yeah. like that's, that's so sensible for the modern, like modern life where the cost of living is going up and people are looking for, geez, we need another bedroom for an office. Like, that's genius. Like, obviously, yeah. you've got a transition. You ain't going to get there overnight. Yeah. But that's very inspirational. I, I actually thought of you last night when I was going to bed. I had I put my pillow down. I took it off and I chucked it over on the <laughs> side of the bed and went, I'm going to practice what Kathy preaches in honor of Kathy or Katie. Well, sorry. Also, it's, but remember that transition, right? Because if my neck was stiff and I got rid of my pillow over like 18 months. So it wasn't big because, you know, like I, I can't let my head hang to my ear for six hours or eight hours. So what I did was I just went to a smaller pillow and a smaller pillow over time. And then I would just use a sweatshirt. So I would gently stretch my neck and shoulders over that period of time. And then, yeah, like I, just a lot of the things that I used to have in that area just... Just and, and, and one question about the sleeping is that I was wondering is that like, you know, people might go, geez, why the heck would you want to sleep on the floor? Like that's going to be sore on your body and it's whatnot. And how I understand it, it's a bit like people do foam rolling to kind of build up kind of yeah. more resistance in their muscle or to, I don't know why you do foam rolling, fascia. really. but it seems like sleeping that way is kind of almost like foam rolling for eight hours, kind of. It's pressure. So, I mean, I try to talk about that other movements, like the movements that we don't think about where where yeah, the ability to take pressure. And so I, it actually, another reason I thought about it was a lot of people, um, and I think I wrote a small section of this in Move Your DNA. You know, if you go camping, everyone's groaning the next day, like, oh, I, I, I had to sleep on the ground all night and I'm just not used to it. Or even if you went to another friend's house and had to sleep in their guest bedroom and had a terrible mattress and your like back hurts the next day, I was like, I'm not very physically resilient if my ability to feel good in my body is so dependent on this giant infrastructure of like the perfect sleeping surface for my body. Like I really thought I need to make my body stronger to be able to sleep well in lots of different scenarios. And that's really, yes, it's, it's being able to tolerate pressure, all these smaller joints being able to move against 
that firmer surface. And it took a while, but like you get stronger and stronger. And it's like, I can really sleep anywhere on anything and wake up and my body feels good afterwards. And I think it has a lot to do with the sleeping movements that I've added. Like sleeping is a big portion of our day. It's like a third. It's a third of all time. So the idea that you'd be in a physical environment that might not be letting you move as well as you could. And, and there's, it's so scalable. Like you could do this a wee bit, just a smaller pillow, just sleeping on the other side of the mattress will be like really hard for people. Cause it's a different shape. You know, if you have another body in bed next to you, it's based on their shape. And you're like, I'm so uncomfortable. It's like, yeah, you're moving differently. That's all it is. And you're just being moved in a way that you're not used to. And then you'll adapt to it and you'll be stronger after the fact. That's I think funny, it's because literally on Saturday night. Uh, uh, yeah, we slept rough on Saturday night and we were just out in, in uh, sleeping bags, sleeping on the grass floor. And it was like, e- even you were like, geez, I should have cleaned up like the forest floor before I lay in it because well, it was like twigs in you. And there was like an yeah, acorn yeah. And, and there was little flies getting in your ear. And, and it was so beautiful. And it was something really, really, you know, it reminded me, geez, I must do this. Our bodies like, weren't that sore though. I was, in, no, I was, no, quite, I was quite impressed. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised. You're so. pretty Spartan. I really admired. I think you're deadly, Katie. Yeah, I think deadly is so a real positive thing in in Irish dialect. Okay, okay, so so we got foods, we got or we got the food, we got the bed. Can I, can I ask okay. one final question? Just about, uh, I've, 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 I'm not done yet. I've got I, I know well, where Katie's things to do. Away, whatever you want. Okay, creativity and movement. So often creativity, it's seen as this thing you got to sit. And if you look at kind of back in Greek times, genius was outside of us and it came to us and it hit us. And now modern day society, genius is in us. Oh, they're a genius. You're a genius. This person's a genius. In terms of movement, I find I'm a bit like an octopus. An octopus, when it moves, it gets more better blood flow and it gets to its brain. And I find movement helps me think better. I just wonder, are there any research or any kind of correlation between movement and the ability to think creatively, to think outside of the box and to feel more free and more out there? Well, the research that I'd probably be most familiar with has to do with a little bit of what they've done with um, walking versus sitting and then being able to create things. So I know that they've found that being able to walk through your ideas and I don't know, it's not necessarily talking, but just maybe it's the blood flow, but there's this act of physically taking yourself out to move around seems to cut through maybe the creative process time and you just get better ideas. I'm not exactly sure how they've measured it, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think that Moving is so much more than just the physical benefits, right? Like you can't really deny the physical benefits of it, but, but really looking at movement and how it relates to stress. I mean, I mean, maybe people are simply more creative because when they move, go outside and move around, it de-stresses the body a little bit enough to allow that external or internal inspiration to, to get to the brain. Because I do think we spend quite a bit of times in our, our brains are spending quite a bit of time of managing the stress that comes with being so sedentary. Think about an organ that is capable and used to a tremendous amount of movement and the systems needing it for different things and not getting it. It's sort of like always managing hunger. Like if you were hungry or starving all the time, how much of your brain would have to go into dealing with the side effects? of malnutrition, like whether you're cognitive or not about it, all that's happening and in, in you're managing that situation. And I think that we are like that quite a bit with being under moved. Our brains are sort of managing movement starvation quite a bit. And then situations that arise externally are all through the lens of you're not moving enough, but we don't 
we don't recognize hunger signals when it comes to movement. I don't, I, I don't think that we recognize or name them movement starvation. Like we wouldn't that's, know what a- That's yeah, bra- so good. Our brains are managing movement starvation. I think that's an yeah, incredible- that's, We spend quite a bit of time managing the stress of being sedentary. Wow. You hit yeah. it. You hit the nail on the head there. That's gold. I love that. I love that. Okay, I've got. I've got one more thing. Which I, well, there was two more things really, and they're kind of big ones. Are you one try was to pack them together as well. Well, no. I get, <laughs> like the first thing we have to talk about because it was about counters and about like 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 you know. Okay, you've kind of broken down the idea of couch, and I kind of get that. And people listening, okay, makes sense. Couch. Hope hips open. You know, my legs are going to be more fluid. I'm going to be more in my body. Brilliant. No couch. Okay, I can put some cushions around the couch. We can sit around or on the floor. We can sit in a low table. Got it. Bed, cool. New room, amazing. I have a new room and office. Right, worth trying. You also talk about, I'm not sure if you still do this, but I've heard you talk before about where you didn't have counters in the kitchen. So you actually get on the floor and prep your dinner or cook on the floor. Is that what you still do? Or do oh, you yeah. kind of have a kitchen, like a normal kitchen with like a 900 high counter and a sink? Oh, and all that? Yeah, we, have, we, have, we, live in a, we live in a regular house. Like there's always counters everywhere. I just, you know, it started again when I had little kids you know, like, and I wanted them to be outside a lot. Well, little kids go where their parents go. So, you know, I'm like, oh, I got to make food. Now I have to bring, you know, these kids in here. They want to be with me and I got to go inside. I got to leave the beautiful day outside to go in to cook the meal. And I thought, well, what if I just take a cutting board and everything that I was going to cut and just go sit outside while they're there playing and I can still be talking to them or, or, to, you know, we're at a, again, we do a lots of gatherings with friends and I don't want to leave to go do the thing I have to do, which is make a meal. So I just, just in the same position that I would be at my sitting desk, I was at my sitting kitchen that I made quickly and I could chop things and prepare things and I could just go into cook. So I, I mean, these aren't big shifts to the decor of a house or kitchen. It's just a choice to move down and chop at the low table where I can let my children do a lot of the chopping, you know, and then involve them more. Like think about it from a little kid perspective, being a, like doing anything is just so far up. It's so far removed from them. And I just really wanted them to be like, no, you can chop all these vegetables. You can dice them all up. And, you know, we're used to like bringing um, a platform up so they can cook in front of the stove, you know, like a, you know, a kid ladder that's, you know, got the thing around it. And I thought, well, if I just have a low table, we all can move more and they can be right at that height and do more. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, I've always had a regular kitchen, but yes, I will often take my kitchen chore to a different place, which allows me to still be moving, still be outside, still be participating. And I don't have to make it separate. It can be again, stacked with the other things that I'm doing. So inspiring. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Last one is about, so you've, you're an incredibly inspiring in terms of your parenting, how you actually parent your kids. And like, I think your kids are, approaching teenagers or their teenagers are on the cusp or this type of thing. I'm just wondering, like, like our daughters are kind of turning 12. They're not our daughters together. We've got separate daughters with separate <laughs> wives and they're um, kind of turning 12 or whatever. I'm just wondering, like they, at this age, when they turn into teenagers, obviously they become more autonomous and they're less into what you're doing. And I just wondered, you know, how you're managing this with your kids, you know, as they get older in terms of typically they go against the grain. If you've taught them to be healthy when they're young, when they become teenagers, they go, hey, I'm not eating that healthy stuff anymore. I want something else. Um, how, have you, how have you managed that with your kids? Are they still completely on board in terms of movement? Are they, have you, you know, I'd love to hear your experience with that. Yeah. So my kids are just uh, 10 and 11, 10 and almost 12. So they're like at that preteen time as well. Um, and I got some 
they there's they still are at the age where we like to do a lot of stuff together but they are more peer centric now you know being with their friends i would say is more important to them than being with us which is great and how it should be um I had talked about dynamic celebrations. So like we always did our birthdays. Like one of the things that we do for our birthdays is always walk our age in miles or kilometers. And we started this when they were very young. And so their friends are sort of in on it. So we've always thrown, we've always just tried to keep the activities that we do. And we have a nice little parenting community and the ones that we do as a community, very active. So like one thing that we just did last weekend is we had a silent dance party. Do you know what a silent dance party is? Is They're that like, like the, the headphones? Yeah, yeah. So we had a big farm party. And so all these preteens and kids could come and, and they were just outside dancing for hours at night. So it was outside. It was um, very dynamic and movement rich, but they were with their friends and their peers and running around. But we were all sort of there together, still doing an outside thing, but more with what they were interested in. I mean, and who doesn't love a good dance party, but this has become like, this has become a thing. Our, our community um, crowdsourced these set of headsets, hundred headsets so that the kids could use them for outdoor wow. dynamic parties. And that, you know, like if they wanted to have a dance, they could. Um, and, and we do it like once a month, and even in the dead of winter, when it's snowing, we make fires and have a new year's Eve party outside with the dance headsets. Like, so we try to find, creative ways like that where it meets more the direction they want to go but also again keeps them in a place that we think is um good for them you know while that's still our job and then the other really bit of good advice i did found um i actually did an interview on my own podcast from a psychologist and i had asked her because people asked me like how do you get people to move when they're not on board and she was like you often want to get people on board with you but when you have preteens, it's more about how can you get onto their board? So what I was missing is like, I know I was like, okay, let's do our like same family walks or like the other things, which they'll do a little bit more reluctantly. But then I noticed like my daughter, she would be like, I want to like, I want to practice um, this gymnastics thing. And I didn't want to do that kind of movement. So I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Or like my son would be like, you want to arm wrestle? And I was like, yeah, like I wasn't seeing that as movement. I was just seeing that as like, something that they wanted to do that wasn't what I wanted to do. And then I realized like, oh, they're inviting me to move with them in the way that they want to move. And then I started to be like, yeah, we'll arm wrestle. And like, yeah, I'll do this cheerleading move with you or whatever it was. And then, and then it just turned into as soon as I got onto their board and heard their request to move with them in the way that they wanted to move, their resistance to moving the way that I wanted to also just went away. It was more reciprocal because you're not the parent or leader anymore. They have ideas. They have the type of movement that they're interested in. It's not necessarily interesting to me, but that's because I wasn't seeing it. And once I got a chance to see it, I was like, oh, I say yes to them all the time for things that I don't want to do that gets us outside and physical. And then when I suggest something, they say yes to me a lot more often because it's now more of an equal relationship for who gets to pick the what and the how yeah we started that that's been a game changer you know like we never did a ton of sports but they just like we want to do sports day where we just go down all day long and go to the track and like run races and and so we, we just follow their lead it doesn't look in the, it doesn't look 
like the same type of activities we were doing, but all their friends are there and we're there. And I just feel like, I feel like that's the, that's the handoff. That's the trade-off all the years they were doing things that they didn't fully love, but did because we're their parents. Now that's turned. Now we're doing all the things that they want to do that are physically and outside. And we're following their lead because, because we're their parents, you know, it's, it's just been a nice sort of shift in energy. Oh, well done adapting to it. Yeah, that's good. Good dexterity. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, resilience. Good resilience right there, Katie. Uh, Katie, I think you're brilliant already too. You've written, it's eight books in nine, total. Is it, or is it nine? Sorry. Or is it more? I don't know. Somewhere Lots. somewhere around there. Yeah, with another one too. But yeah, I just, um, that just seems to be what I do. I like to write books about movement. Yeah, you have like, what? there's one on parenting. I know this, your Move Your Machine DNA is pretty phenomenal ones, book. Move Your DNA. Uh, your early ones are about, uh, about feet and about foot management. And then there's one about parenting and kids. There's a recent one about that. Yeah. I can't remember, remember them all. Grow wild. I can't remember them all either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But you're amazing. You really are. Like your message is just so refreshing and inspiring. And really. you're an Instagram nutritious movement. Your blog is pretty cool, which you, you update. movement as well. Yep. Yeah. Nutritious yeah. movement, everything. You know, if you just put that in, you'll get where you need to go. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. brilliant. You're fantastic. This has been wonderful. So yeah, thanks you really are. for your time. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. You're so inspiring. You. Yeah. yeah. Super inspiring. Super inspiring in so many ways. Yeah. I'm going home to cut the legs off the table. <laughs> well, I don't know if Sab will let me. I find that fabulous. I think Katie Bauman is incredible. And, I, and ironically, we spent Saturday night sleeping rough on, underneath the tree, on, just on sleeping bags under, on the floor, forest floor. And I was thinking so. how good it felt. And I was surprised that I didn't wake up so Even stiff. though I was lying there in bed, looking at the grass, going, look at that ecosystem there. Seeing a little fly on it, seeing a little like kind of cocoon of some creature being born out of it. I was just like, wow, this is cool. But anyway, I think that was like, as we were just saying there, like it's that it really, there's such seeds for such a beautiful tree to grow from this conversation in terms of movement and our necessity as human beings Beings, that we need to get more movement and be much more, much more, much less exercise focused. That movement really is about consistently moving throughout the day because this is how we've evolved as a species. And it's about stacking our habits. It's about looking at how we live our lives and how we can stack what, what our needs are and stack them around certain behaviors. And there's and, many ways to do it. And similarly with diet, diversity is key. And similarly with movement, diversity is key. It just brings more resilient. And the more resilient we are, the more we can continue to be creative, wonderful beings. And really, can really, I put out a personal pitch out there? Um, I'm moving house soon and I'm going to make a proposition to my wife that we change our bed. Even though the best purchase, I say to her continuously, I think about 10 years ago, she spent two grand on a mattress. And I was like, two grand on a mattress? That's the most we've spent on anything. And almost every night I get into bed and go, I love this mattress. I love this mattress because it's so comfortable. I'm going to propose the idea. That we change of our mattress. Sheep skin. Well, I don't know about gaining sheep skin, a new bedroom. Yeah, I, like I, lo- I think that's so practical for the, the, the where we're at in terms of how's cost of living. Anyway, Mish, if you hear this, I love you. <laughs> um, anyway, I hope you already got something from this. Nutritious movement is Kathy's website and her Instagram, and she's so cool. She really I can't is. wait to meet. Oh her. my god, so inspiring. Uh, yeah, if you're if you if you enjoyed this, please share with more people because this is such an important message. And really, it's it's in its infancy. There's so much more that needs to be developed in this space, and the speed. The world is changing. I think, you know, we're becoming more and more sedentary at one extreme, but on the other extreme, there's Kathy Bauman and there's people leading this movement like Tony Riddle and 
Katie and like we need to more of us need to band around this end of the spectrum and really start to inspire one another to move more and bake it into our daily habits so um, yeah thanks for your attention really yeah, hope you enjoyed it thanks for watching thanks for listening massive thanks. shout out to Katie and uh, yeah as we said share with more people if you enjoyed it and we'll reshare wishing you Instagram. a wonderful diverse movement day ahead a wonderful diverse movement life ahead sending all our love and uh, yeah thanks Mel bye 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 bye